Support for Need to Know comes from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. Learn more at Carnegie.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Welcome back to the Need to Know podcast, everyone, and to a series that we are doing here on the show called Relationships and Rivalries, looking at relationships that countries have with each other around the world. Certainly, as we have seen in U.S. foreign policy, if we don't understand how other countries relate to one another, it makes it difficult for us to create those relationships around the world. Today, we're going to talk about India and China. Two neighbors, two very large countries, two very populous countries, and two countries in which the Wilson Center has a lot of expertise. Bringing back to the show, my friend Michael Kugelman uh, from the Asia Program, and another friend of ours who's been on before as well, Lucas Myers from the Asia Program, both at the Wilson Center, both within the Asia Program. Welcome, Michael and Lucas. Thanks. Good to be back with you. Thank you. It's good to be back as well. Really good to have both of you on. We're going to do a little roundtable here about India and China. As I said in the opener, these are huge countries. It seems like these two have been at each other's throats here recently. Um, help us understand the dynamic between these two countries, some border disputes, some long history. Help us understand where things stand with these guys. Let's start with you, Michael. Sure, I could I could start. You know, as you rightly said, I think that you're looking at a natural rivalry here because these are two uh, proud nationalistic civilizational powers with long, deep, rich histories. Um, I would argue that um, for quite some time, these two countries had what I, what I guess I would describe as an uneasy. They un, they coexisted uneasily. Uh, and these are two countries that, as you just alluded to, have had a disputed border for many years, and they fought a, a deadly uh, war over their disputed border back in the 1960s. The war did not resolve the border disputes, and uh, since the 1960s, there have been periodic border standoffs. But despite those security tensions and the unresolved border, um, these are two countries that have done a pretty good job until relatively recently with their commercial relationship. Uh, the India-China uh, trade relationship, I believe, has been the highest by volume of any bilateral trade relationship. Um, and there have been efforts to manage the, uh, the tensions in the relationship with high-level meetings between the two leaders. Uh, these are two countries that have partnered in a number of multilateral organizations, from the BRICS grouping to more recently the AIIB, the Asian Invest Infrastructure Investment Bank. They have a number of shared interests, too, uh, in terms of uh, concerns about uh, terrorism, for example. But indeed, as, as you suggested, the, the calculus um, changed completely uh, in the summer of 2020 when you had this deadly border clash that really put the relationship at its lowest point since they went to war in the 1960s. And, and today, they're uh, right now, they're still at a point where um, I would describe the relationship as, uh, as really paralyzed, frozen. There, you have deep tensions that are unlikely to um, be uh, eased in a big way anytime soon. Lucas, what say you? I would argue that over the long term, what 
we're seeing here is, is decline in relations is a byproduct of China's rise in power. I mean, this is shifting the entire balance in the region, and it's causing everybody to alter their relations to each other. And in the India-China case, uh, there's a very much an increasing sense of insecurity in New Delhi. They see Beijing's growing power and, assert and assertiveness as a direct security threat and a challenge, and it's across multiple fronts. And, and from Beijing's perspective, uh, although India is not viewed in the same level of uh, insecurity as, as it is in, as New Delhi sees China, the Chinese definitely view India as, as a growing concern. Obviously, the 2020-2021 uh, border clashes that, that Michael uh, talked about are a major source of this kind of friction. Uh, but there's a few interests at stake that China sees um, really important, and, and its actions on these interests have created a sense of insecurity in, in New Delhi. Uh, this extends from growing Chinese influence in surrounding countries in South and Southeast Asia to greater uh, Chinese naval activity in the Indian Ocean. All of these things have, have driven up tensions uh, and, and make the relationship increasingly tense. And, and above all, I would argue as well, you know, from the Chinese perspective, uh, the growing U.S. ties to India, which are in response to China's rising power itself, uh, create kind of this uh, spiraling dynamic on some level. I do want to get to that. But first, I want to ask the question about Michael had talked about China and India's commercial relationship seemed to be on the upswing until recently. And China, they put a lot of stock in trade. They've got this Belt and Road Initiative and they're creating new relationships or, or tightening relationships with a lot of countries throughout the Asian continent into into Africa. They've been working on a deal with the European Union. Uh, which has had some tensions recently, but they've still been doing that. So from Beijing's side, are they not including India in Belt and Road? Are they not really, uh, has it completely stalled the, the trade relationship and commercial relationship as it was, as it was on its upswing? Well, interestingly, uh, India has declined to participate in the BRI uh, because um some of the Belt and Road, especially the China-Pakistan economic corridor, passes through uh, disputed uh, territory in, in 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 Pakistan and India's uh, uh, you know disputed Kashmir, and and so from India's perspective, it doesn't want to be a part of that. And and China understands this; they don't like to you know they understand that this is a source of of tension. But I would also argue that yeah, the economic, you know, bilateral relationship there is, is, is positive and, and a source of, you know, a benefit for both sides. Uh, from China's perspective, especially under President uh, Xi Jinping, there is a much more, much stronger emphasis on nationalism and asserting China's power. China increasingly views that it has arrived, so to speak. It has become this great power and it needs to throw its weight around. And then one of the key elements of legitimacy for the CCP is nationalism and its territorial sovereignty. And so increasingly, although there, were, there have been efforts to negotiate some sort of deal in the line of actual control, the, the disputed border between India and China, uh, recently they, I would argue that that's becoming less and less likely because from Beijing's perspective, it needs to show its own people we're defending Chinese nationalism. We are implementing the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, which is a goal uh, for the CCP to demonstrate it's, it's you know, basically the, the final reunification of China. Um, you know, it also has other issues that, that uh, stem from this nationalistic concern. Uh, Tibet, for instance, is actually 
very much related here. The government in exile, uh, the Tibetan government in exile, resides in India, and they have a relatively close relationship. Uh, some territory that's disputed, uh, Tawang is a uh, important place of Tibetan Buddhism, and and it's very significant. And there's this, and, and what China claims is South Tibet. This is, you know, they're they're very much a sore spot in Chinese thinking, uh, and and you know, you could even extend this to the Dalai Lama. Right. So the Indian government and the U.S. government have both affirmed that the Tibetan people need to choose the, the, the Dalai Lama's successor, his, his reincarnation uh, when he uh, passes on. And he's you know, of rapidly advancing age. And so this is increasingly a concern here. But China very much is, is opposed to this. They see the Dalai Lama as a separatist, a terrorist. They very much uh, dispute this and they would love to choose their own uh, puppet, you know, Dalai Lama as a successor. So in a few years, we'll see that, that that'll flare up as well, probably. You know, and beyond that, there's the sea lanes issue where, you know, these, this trade, as a, partly as a result of, of the BRI and increasing connectivity to China, China wants to protect these sea lines of communication, these uh, maritime routes through the Indian Ocean. And so its navy is naturally expanding and, and projecting further power into this region. All of these things have been driving kind of this downturn in relations. So let me get this straight before I turn to Michael here. You're suggesting that the Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party being irreligious, essentially, uh, not really believing in any particular religion, will espouse a Dalai Lama themselves claiming that that is the reincarnation of the Tibetan leader? Uh, yes, this is so there's a bit of an you know irony here, right? And and from the Chinese perspective, they recognize that the Dalai Lama is a very important spiritual and and uh you know less so now but but political leader in Tibet and a lot of Tibetans still view him with reverence. And and so they want to very much have a hand in controlling uh the 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 successor. And and they've done this before with a similar religious figure in Tibetan Buddhism, the Panchen Lama. Uh, in the 90s, there was a a new child was was selected or reincarnated, and the Chinese sort of disappeared this person, and not it's not really clear what happened there, but he is essentially gone and or disappeared. He's you know in hiding, uh, controlled by the CCP, and and essentially what the Chinese government is concerned about is is they don't they want to tamp down the Tibetan government in exile and make sure that they can exert their their control and sovereignty over Tibet, and and so this is. So now they have to choose a Dalai Lama that's under their control, even though they are officially atheist. Michael, one of the things that Lucas was talking about there was this relationship with Pakistan. Um, and India says, thanks, but no thanks to Belt and Road. It seems like China is engaged with Pakistan on Belt and Road. And there's a long rivalry between India and Pakistan. How does that enter into this mix? Yeah, I would argue that there's a uh, rather volatile quadrangle here uh, between India, China, the U.S., and Pakistan. That, uh, you know, as you know, the U.S.-India relationship has been growing significantly, which is a, one of the major reasons for deepening tensions between India and China. Meanwhile, the China you have a, a relationship between China and Pakistan, which is very strong. It's, it's an alliance. It's probably Pakistan's closest uh, ally, um, and that's clearly something that impacts the India-China relationship as well. Um, so there's a, there's a lot going on there for sure. And, you know, it's notable. I mean, maybe we're going to get into the, the border, the deadly border clash that happened last year. But, you know, when you're trying to figure out the reasons for what 
prompted that clash and what might have prompted China to stage the provocation that it did, uh, that precipitated it. You know, one of the factors was a decision that India made um, in Kashmir, and India administered Kashmir to essentially re revoke the autonomy of a region known as Jammu and Kashmir. But that was a decision that also, and that, and that was something that really got Pakistan upset for reasons that are, that are quite uh, obvious. But that decision also related to Ladakh, um, which is a, uh, you know, a region that, of course, China claims. This brought China and Pakistan closer together, and I think sort of amplified how you know, much of what India does when it comes to Kashmir, or much of its positions or its policies, the way that Pakistan reacts tends to be the way that, uh, that China um, reacts as well. So yes, Pakistan plays a key role uh, in the tensions between India and China, for sure. And indeed, if you go back to the Belt and Road Initiative, you know, as Lucas had said, India has has rejected it um, because it is envisioned to um, involve projects in areas that uh, India claims as its own uh, that are in Pakistan-administered territory. I mean, we're talking about areas like Gilgit, Baltistan, and Pakistan-administered Kashmir. So for sure, you know, the, these three countries... Um, yeah, there's, I talked about a quadrangle, but certainly there's a, a triangle here as well. I mean, the China-India-Pakistan triangle is very volatile in this context. Just very quickly going back to the, the earlier question about the commercial relationship between China and India, um, you know, it really is striking that I wouldn't, I would not argue that we were seeing an upswing in commercial relations between India and China in recent years. I would argue that there's been a fairly stable commercial relationship between the two, that even when you had flare-ups and tensions on the security side, that the commercial relationship remained quite constant. And you've had significant levels of Chinese investment in key Indian sectors. So you look at these high growth sectors in India, telecoms, automobile industry, China has made major investments in these areas. Now, after the, the, the deadly border clash last year, that's when things changed for the first time where India, uh, impelled in part by nationalistic considerations, decided to curtail its commercial relationship with China. And it did things that one could never have expected it doing in previous years. One of the first things that India did uh, after that clash was to ban a number of Chinese apps in India, uh, including TikTok. And you know, I would not know because I don't use TikTok, but um, I understand that it is addictive and young people everywhere, including India, use it. I think that India is one of the largest TikTok, one of the largest markets for TikTok in the world. Pretty significant move by, by India there. But um, my point here is that the commercial relationship had been pretty constant, heavy levels of Chinese investment in Indian industries, uh, energy uh, trade as well. Uh, China had been a key destination for Indian uh, refined petro petroleum products. This has all changed and is not necessarily ground to a halt, but has slowed down significantly given what happened in the summer of 2020. And so correct me if I overstate this, but um, from what I'm hearing here, I think a lot of times we see the India, Pakistan and the Kashmir issue in one lane and we see this India, China issue in another lane. But from what I'm getting from you guys, they are interconnected. Um, and particularly since China and Pakistan have a close relationship and India is on the outs, could we see some border clash that is including both China and Pakistan moving on these disputed areas? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly 
something to worry about. But when I, when this question is posed to me, one thing that I think about is actually um, water tensions and water policies. Here, so you've got a lot of rivers that are shared by these these same countries, and so as as you know, probably there's been for quite some time. Uh, water disputes between India and Pakistan, mainly over the, the Indus uh, River and its tributaries. Pakistan has, well, has long accused India of um, uh, basically doing things on uh, an India that has prevented water from flowing into Pakistan. There have been fears that if that continues, China could essentially um, try to help Pakistan out indirectly, retaliate for any alleged uh, hydro policies by India and taking... Um, actions um, with its rivers that flow down into Pakistan, because China and India, pardon me, let me rephrase that. Um, there's been concern on the, that um, if there were to be heightened water tensions between India and Pakistan, and Pakistan is accusing India of preventing water from flowing downstream into Pakistan, that China could retaliate by preventing the flow of water um, into India, particularly through, through the Brahmaputra River. So I think that, that rivers are a really interesting angle here. Um, and it's something that we may not think enough about. But, you know, I really look at water tensions as a flashpoint for, for tensions between India and, and, and China, for sure, and for, for India and Pakistan as well. And, you know, you could see the linkages here and how China may try to help Pakistan out when it believes that Pakistan is facing threats from India because of these water tensions, and especially in, in, a broad water, in a broader region where water shortages are very real and climate change effects could uh, cause those shortages to become scarcities, the stakes will go up. And so I think that these water tensions, uh, these transboundary water tensions could could become even more stark and serious in the coming years. Lucas, what do you what do you think on this? Well I think the the the, the Pakistan China relationship is is arguably one of China's closest international relationships. I mean China doesn't have any real you know, too many friends compared to the United States, for instance, right? You know, North Korea is not very reliable. Um, it has a few kind of partners and in, in clients in, in Southeast Asia, but Pakistan has consistently been one of China's closest uh, partners in, in the international system. So much so that you know the military increasingly cooperates. Uh, China sells large numbers of arms to Pakistan. They have good relationship uh, relationships with the military in Pakistan. You know, obviously, there's the China-Pakistan economic corridor, which is reportedly, you know, $62 billion worth of investments across a number of sectors. And in general, the, the best way I think you can describe it is China and Pakistan refer to their relationship as an all-weather partnership. This is, it's, it's all-weather. They're, they're going to be, you know, friends through it all. And this is sort of, uh, I, I think, going to continue. And this is a source of insecurity for India as well, uh, because obviously they're both security threats from New Delhi's perspective. I mean, this is actually extends beyond just Pakistan. I mean, China has been pursuing positive uh, in relations and, and greater uh, influence and clout across a number of South Asian countries. Uh, Nepal is, is increasingly quite close to China. There's, you know, for a while in, in the mid to uh, 2010s, Maldives was there was a, a more authoritarian government in the Maldives that also approached China very closely. In Sri Lanka, the, the Rajapaksa family is close to China. There's the famous Hamban Toda port in, in 2017 that was handed over as a result of, of high debt uh, under a Belt and Road project to, to a Chinese firm that sparked a lot of concern in India. In the east, you have in Myanmar, on, on India's eastern border, 
There's the China-Myanmar economic corridor, which is sort of a similar kind of infrastructure route to the Indian Ocean that also has generated some concern in India. So really, you can see a lot of pressure almost on all sides, um, you know, from the south and the Indian Ocean to the border to you know, Pakistan. And, and, I, and you can really see then from, from India's perspective why, why China is concerning. But I think what's, what's really interesting and key here is that China sort of misunderstands this issue from what you can from from the sources we can garner and and, and study in, in China in Beijing they are a bit perplexed by by India's continued growing relationship with with the United States and in fact they think that India's history of non-alignment where it typically preferred a more autonomous foreign policy and didn't want to align uh, too strongly with any of the great powers during the cold war uh, is going to continue but I think this changing balance of power that causes India to, to really feel this sense of insecurity is, is upending this. And in China, they don't understand as, as well that they're really angering India and that this is, this is, uh, this is really jeopardizing uh, their relationship. And, and I think it's, it's really, it's sort of an intractable problem in you know, Beijing's mind because they're sort of confused, right? And, and really, I, I would say that the trend is, is, is downwards in terms of the relationship. Let's move to where the U.S., policymakers need to be aware of things going on here. Obviously, I think this has all been this whole discussion has been very enlightening. I particularly think, you know, the climate change angle, the rivers angle that Michael was bringing up is is particularly interesting for this region. And of course, you know, we've got Afghanistan right there just in in the same neighborhood. Uh, And we just had, you know, a precipitous withdrawal of our troops from Afghanistan so a lot of policymakers are kind of wondering what, you know, what is happening to American power in the region. So when we look at this, what are the things that what are the signposts that American policymakers need to watch out for and look out for things on the horizon? Lucas, you want to start us off? Yeah, I think one of the key elements that, that a U.S. policymaker should pay attention to is, is really that the relationship with India is is on a positive trajectory, and, and you know you can see this through the quadrilateral security dialogue. You can see this through the growing you know partnership on, on defense ties and, and you know diplomatic relations. And really, it it, it is um, something that that could be beneficial for U.S. you know Indo-Pacific strategy as it as it aims to address the rise of China. However, there is a, a limit on some level, and I'm sure Michael can speak more to this, but, but from New Delhi's perspective, they are still quite wary of, of angering China too much. I mean, this is, there was an earlier iteration of the quadrilateral security dialogue that, that sort of ran into this issue. And you know, if Beijing continues to, to be assertive, we can see that there'll be a you know, further incentive for growing U.S.-India partnership, and, and that would make strategic sense from a U.S. perspective. But the U.S. should also be aware that this non-alignment element to Indian foreign policy remains important to consider, and 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 that maybe it's it's not a treaty ally in the way that Japan or Australia is. And Michael, yeah, I mean, what I would add here are several things. Uh, certainly, China is the big driver of growth in U.S.-India security relations. I think we can all agree on that. You have other you have other shared concerns like uh, terrorism, but really, over the last uh, ten years or so, it's been the rise of China that's uh, uh, made these two countries come together. And, and I think that there's bipartisan support for the idea uh, here in, in Washington that um, India is really Washington's best strategic bet in South Asia in terms of a country that can help uh, the U.S. counter China's rising power. 
Um, but indeed, it's ironic that um, India is not ready for an alliance with the United States or for anyone. You know, just days after the uh, you know that the Ladakh uh, crisis uh, in the summer of 2020, you had the Indian external affairs minister come out making a speech in which he said India will never join an alliance system. The timing was striking. So I think that you know really for for policymakers, the question is not how to figure out how to give India an incentive to join an alliance with the U.S., but it's more so how to figure out ways to strengthen partnership within the context of an aligned relationship, not an allied one. And there's a difference here, because it's true that India is not ready to uh, join a relationship with the U.S. where it would be willing to operate, to, to cooperate operationally and, and militarily. Now, We've seen that this relationship has come a really long way. Uh, the security relationship has come a really long way over the last few years, even in the absence of an alliance. You've had a number of, of defense agreements, which are known as foundational agreements, which have entailed new accords that will allow the militaries of the two countries to work more closely together, particularly through communications, uh, technology sharing, intelligence sharing, that type of thing. That's pretty significant right there. But I, I think that we need to move away from this idea of what about an alliance with, with India? Why can't we strive for that? I think we need to focus with what's more practical, and that is how to grow out the relationship within the context of, of an aligned relationship as opposed to an allied one. One more point here, and I think it's important to, to think of this in strategic geographies right here when thinking about U.S., India, and China. Um, it, I would argue that one of the few strategic disconnects between the U.S. and India is what part of Asia is more strategically significant? I think that we could agree that for U.S. policymakers, it's East Asia, uh, particularly the South uh, China Sea region, where you have you know, Chinese provocations posing major threats to U.S. treaty allies and by extension to, to the U.S., whereas the Indian Ocean region, uh, where India is, uh, for India, that's that's the big concern. Uh, the U.S. has recognized the significance of the Indian Ocean region, particularly um, after China, I can't remember when this was, but it was it was sometime relatively recently in the last few years, it established a, a, a military base off Djibouti. Uh, I think that's its first overseas military base. Um, but the U.S. had until recently seen the East, East Asia, the South China Sea region as more concerning given what China was up to. However, given what happened in Ladakh on you know, the border with, with India, Last summer, I think, has woke U.S. policymakers up to the fact that you know, U.S. officials need to keep much more of a closer eye on the Indian Ocean region as well. So, you know, one of the, the byproducts of that India-China border clash is that contrary to what China was like to see happen, that's something that will bring the U.S. and India closer together, even if they're not going to, um, to establish an alliance. Well, that's pretty interesting and, and something to watch there. So I really appreciate Michael Kugelman, Lucas Myers, both of the Asia program at the Wilson Center for joining us yet again on the podcast, but to help us illuminate this area in our series on relationships and rivalries here around the world. So Michael and Lucas, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. If you like this podcast, we hope you will like and subscribe on your podcast distributor. And if you want to find more Wilson Center podcasts, you can find them all at wilsoncenter.org slash podcasts.